This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 26, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The Buffett rule proposed by the president is aimed at collecting more revenues from high-income earners. But we've been here before, according to Alan Reynolds, senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He says there are good reasons why these particular attempts to raise new revenues are bound to fail. The Buffett rule says uh, it's not fair for someone who makes all their money on, say, capital gains and dividends, and therefore pays a 15% rate, to be paying a lower tax than someone who makes all their money on salary or wages and is paying 15 28 even 35% tax rate on labor income. So the implication is that labor income and capital income including capital gains, should all be taxed at the same rate. The key word is should. It's a moral proposition. I'm not going to argue the morality. Uh, What I'm going to argue is that it doesn't work. We've tried it. It doesn't work. When you say it doesn't work, you're talking about raising well, tax of course. on I capital mean, gains. If anybody was the, talking about taking the, the tax on labor income down to 15% instead of raising the capital gains tax, no problem. And in fact, uh, uh, many people, I'm one of them, uh, back in 86, said, okay, if you will t- cut the uh, top labor income tax to 28%, we'll let you put the capital gains tax rate up to 28%. Trouble is, the lower labor income tax rate brought in a lot of revenue. All of a sudden, people were reporting income we didn't know they had. Uh, second earners uh, went back to work, for example. Uh, but the higher capital gains tax rate did not. And so after 10 years of trying a 28% capital gains tax rate, Bill Clinton finally threw in the towel and cut it to 20%, at which point revenues came pouring in, stock market soared, and the government was flush with cash. In other words, this is a clear case where a lower rate brought in more revenue than a higher rate. We can't afford to make that mistake again. The government just doesn't have uh, uh, spare revenue to spare. You talk about the Fiscal Commission and what President Obama is recommending the Fiscal Commission do, but you're saying that There's not a lot of teeth to what he's saying or that he doesn't really mean what he's saying. Uh, Everything he's actually proposing in his uh, deficit, which is a combination of the the short-term so-called Jobs Act, which is $447 billion, mostly a very short-term cut in the payroll tax, which goes away, uh, and a big increase in spending for government employees, a big increase in – Extended unemployment benefits. Uh, basically, it's it's uh, it's good if you work for the government. It's uh, if you're not, you're going to be on the unemployment line. So he's taking care of you that way, and a little bit of uh, shovel-ready stuff. Uh, at least the, uh, the so-called green jobs seem to have disappeared for obvious reasons, having failed miserably the last time around. Uh, but basically, you're trading some temporary goodies, election year goodies, by no coincidence. Uh, for uh, for a permanent long-term pain of higher tax rates through reduced deductions. Now, reduced deductions could be used to, for example, reform the tax system. But the president wants the money to pay for his sh- short-term fiscal stimulus, what it's so-called fiscal stimulus. He doesn't use the word because it's now tainted. Uh, he's preempting the commission. He's, he's saying – um, basically, he's saying my way or the highway, and he's defining tax reform in a way it's never been done before. He's defining it as cutting back on deductions in exchange for raising the tax rates. Tax rates on people over $250,000 will go up uh, to as much as 44.4% if you include the, the Obamacare surtax, uh, where their deductions will be curbed quite severely 
and quite arbitrarily, deductions that everybody else gets. If you make the mistake of stepping over that $250,000 line, a couple does, um, your rates will go up a lot and your deductions will start getting peeled away quite quickly and capped at 28%. This is pretty stern stuff, and there's, uh, there's, there's no, left, no room left for anybody who would use uh, a so-called loophole closing uh, to achieve anything positive, including cutting the corporate tax rate, which is the most obvious, easy, effective thing you could do right now without any risk of losing revenue. Countries with tax rates that are half of ours routinely bring in more money than we do. And it's it's not simply about lawyers and things like that. It's just, uh, for example, corporations will get over-leveraged to avoid the corporate income tax. They'll take on too much debt. That's dangerous at many levels. But the debt is deductible under current law, and that causes problems. Uh, corporations will uh, um, uh, go places where the tax environment's more more pleasant. And so the, that obviously isn't going to bring in any revenue f- for us uh, unless they bring it back, and they don't bring it back because we, t- we should have a territorial system which doesn't try to tax income earned uh, in other countries. Why should we? It's none of our business. So the story is sort of uh, the same as it has been in many cases in the past, that is um, those wel- who are wealthier have more options than those who are not and, and as such have a more options to it avoid just paying wealthy. taxes. It isn't just wealthy. It's primarily retired. I mean, Obama uh, is, is going after people who uh, – I'm sort of semi-retired, okay? I'm almost uh, at the age where I have to take out uh, income from my 401Ks and IRAs and stuff like that. Um, and uh, But I have taxable assets, even so, assets that are held in taxable accounts, not IRAs and not 401Ks. Now – you can't make me sell those, right? And, and so if you say – if you sell them, if you trade your stocks more frequently, for example, every time you sell, even though you're going to buy something else, you're going to pay a 28% gate charge or the privilege. Well, you simply won't sell. And the evidence is quite clear that 28% is high enough to do that. 20 might be high enough to do that. We're not sure about 15 or 20. We're already going to 18.8. That's booked in that's, – that's baked in the cake because it's in the Obamacare bill. Uh, 18.8 is high enough, in my opinion. Now, dividends, the the government brought in terrific revenues from the top 1% when they cut the dividend tax to 15%. It's shown in a piece I wrote uh, last December in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, why was that the case? Once again, nobody has to buy stocks that pay dividends. First of all, they can buy tax-exempt bonds, no tax. Um, they can buy growth stocks that pay off in the form of capital gains. And in a situation like that, if the dividend tax once again went higher than the capital gains tax rate, once again, firms, instead of paying out dividends, would buy back shares. That creates a capital gain. Warren Buffett's company was a tax avoidance device on purpose. He knew it. Everybody knew it up until 2003. Why? Because the, the Berkshire Hathaway is essentially a holding company which buys shares in companies that pay dividends, but Berkshire Hathaway does not pay dividends. So if I buy shares in Berkshire Hathaway, I can collect the capital gains as those dividends are reinvested, but I'll never pay the dividend tax. So here's an easy way to beat a higher dividend tax. Uh, Buy shares in Warren Buffett's company. He does it. I know how to do it. It isn't a matter of being rich or poor. It's just a matter of, of using common sense. Many of these taxes are essentially voluntary. If, if you don't sell, you don't pay capital gains tax. You don't sell property. You don't sell a business. You don't sell real estate. You don't sell a hotel. You just keep it. 
an unrealized capital gain is just as valuable as a realized capital gain. If you if you bought Apple shares at $16 and haven't sold them, you're a wealthy person. I don't care how many you bought. I did buy them. Unfortunately, I sold them. Uh, <laughs> I bought them again since, but not. But but uh, uh, sell, the act of selling doesn't do it. If you have a have a million dollar house and you sell it, you're not a million dollars wealthier. You've just realized a capital gain. What happens? Is we we exempt most of that capital gain, uh, which is probably excessive. We're too generous with with house capital gains, uh, but we don't exempt them for other assets. Alan Reynolds is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.